0: Well, if you're visiting here this morning, you know that uh, God has blessed us with a lot of kids, and that's a good thing. We, uh, we enjoy that and uh, look forward to the opportunity to be able to minister to the children. I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. Have you ever experienced a, a low time or a downtime in your life? Of course. All of us would say that. Yeah, for sure. In fact, I would dare say probably with as many as we have in the auditorium this morning, that there are probably a good number of you that would attest to that right now. You would say, you know, right now I'm kind of going through a downtime in my life. I'm a little bit discouraged. You know, those times when, when it, it seems like that there's one thing after another that's going wrong. Or those times where we just have experienced, you know, that feeling that nobody understands. It's interesting that oftentimes I've discovered that those downtimes oftentimes occur after you've had a high. You know, kind of that spiritual high and things have gone well. And then it seems like that the enemy knows that and he goes after that and he brings those kinds of things into our life that would cause discouragement or even defeat. I've shared with you before that Deb and I met at a Christian camp in the Upper Peninsula. But I've not shared with you about an experience that I had at that camp. I had the opportunity between my junior and senior year to go to this Christian camp. I had attended as a camper, and then I was asked to come back as support staff. Typically, when you go to a camp like that and you're a rookie or a new worker, you get to do what is called the grunt work. Ever been there? Kind of know what I'm talking about? They got a fancy title for our jobs, we were support staff. All that simply meant was you did all the things that nobody else wanted to do. And so for that first summer, I mean, you, you know, I did garbage runs. I'd go around the camp and empty all the barrels into the garbage truck and then take it to the dump. I, I, I raked, I mowed, I painted. I cleaned toilets. I, I mean, you know, I did all of that for the first summer. The second summer... I decided to go back and work at the camp. The director had shared with me that he wanted me to move into being a counselor. I was going to be counseling junior high boys, and I was excited. So I spent the whole summer, we had an eight-week camp. I spent those eight weeks counseling junior high boys and loved it. I was asked then to come back a third year. Of course, now I'm really excited. You know, third-year staff member, I just had finished a year of Christian college. You know, I kind of felt like, you know, I knew everything. You know, I would arrived. And so I went to this camp, and, and again, I'm a counselor. And now I'm counseling young high school boys. And things are going great. Two weeks of counseling, I had the opportunity to lead two young men to Jesus Christ. They came to know the Savior as they were in my cabin. I mean, that's a high, is it not? I saw other young men give their testimonies at the campfire of decisions that they have made for Jesus Christ. And, and I was excited, and things were going great. After that second week of counseling, the director said, Hey, Jack, I need to see you. Come in my office. So I went in his office, and he said, uh, Hey, you know, we got you know, so-and-so, and it's their first year on staff, and, and uh, I want them to have the experience of counseling. So I'm going to let him take your cabin and, and be a counselor for a week. And I'm going to move you to support staff. Okay, I, you, you know, when, when you're about twenty years old, you know, you, you, you don't always process everything real well. Even when you're fifty I'm like a tell you you don't process things always correctly. You know. And, and and this guy, I mean, his first year you know, at camp, as on staff. Now he's college age and I understand, you know, he's a little bit older and he and he wanted to help him have the experience and, and so he said, you know, that that'll be all right, won't it? And yeah, yeah that'll be all right. But it wasn't all right. I've got to tell you, you know, I, I, I can remember specifically, we had a great big building. It was called the Miracle Building because they were able to put it up, uh, the, the Kresge Foundation helped them put it up. And it was this huge building. On one end of it was what they called the tabernacle, and the, the auditorium, and the other end was the kitchen and the dining room, and then in between was kind of a bookstore and fellowship. It was a huge building. And so for the rest of that week, I was in charge of the exterior of that building. You know, I picked up paper. I raked leaves. I power washed. And I got to one, you know, that second day I'm out there and I'm raking leaves. And I'm thinking, what is this? Why do I have to do grunt work? I, you know, I put in my time. I spent a whole summer one year doing that. My second summer, I'm a full-time cance- counselor. My third summer, I, you know, I finished a year of Christian college. I should be a full-time counselor. And I, and I have to admit to you, I started feeling sorry for myself. You know, I'd earned the right to be a full-time counselor. It's my cabin. This isn't fair. God, why are you allowing this? Immature? Yes. Wrong attitude? Of course. But I still had it. I still had to work through it and deal with it. You know, by the end of that week, God did do a work in my heart. He began to take me out of that low time. He began to speak to me. I began to see things maybe a little bit differently. Do you know what that's like? Have you ever been there in that kind of situation? Sure you have. It may not have been in a... In a working situation, it may not even have some spiritual connotations to it, but I think all of us have been there. Well, this morning, as we continue our series on David, we're going to note a downtime in his life. A time when his faith was greatly impacted. A time when he was discouraged. A time when his faith was actually, you might say, weakened. Even a time when he feigned being crazy. So if you take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Samuel, chapter 21. You'd find 1 Samuel, chapter 21. We're going to be looking at some different verses in 1 Samuel, 21, as well as some other passages around this chapter in 1 Samuel. So if you want to mark that, that would be great. Let me have pick up the reading at verse 10. And I'm going to read through verse 15 of 1 Samuel 21. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane, in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting salava run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, Look at the man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Kind of a tragic scene, is it not? I mean, you stop and think about it. Here is David. Here is the great man David. The man after God's own heart. And what is he doing? He's drooling. Purposely drooling. Now, sometimes, you know, when you and I fall asleep, we might drool a little. Right. Ever done that? I won't ask you to raise your hand if you do that. Okay. I mean, he's purposely drooling. And he's letting the the saliva just you know drip down into his beard. And and he's making you know strange movements, and he's kind of carving on the on the doorpost of the the city gate, and and he's just basically acting like a crazy man. What happened to David? I mean, you think about it. David began with great faith in God. He was given one of the greatest tributes that anyone could ever receive. God called him, not others didn't say this. God Himself said, here is a man after my own heart. Could there be a a greater label placed upon somebody than a label like that from the Almighty God? He exercised great faith. When everyone else was paralyzed by fear, and you remember when we worked through that whole story of David and Goliath. Do you remember his words? He said this, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Later, as we read about David's life under Saul, as he served Saul, David faithfully marched against the Philistines and he defeated them time and time again. In 1 Samuel 18.30 it says, The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle. And as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. I mean, nobody could defeat David. Nobody. God had blessed David because of his belief in the Lord, and David became a great man, known in all of Israel for his courage and his faith. In fact, he was known in the land of the Philistines as well. But then something happened. Something occurred in David's life. And little by little, his faith in God's protection was replaced by fear of what one man could do to him. And so David gave in to his fears. Now, before we judge David too harsh, and I have to be careful of this as well, we need to understand that David's fear is real. And it's an understandable fear. Because the very king whom he had served as an armor bearer and had been a personal musician to was out to kill him. But David's fear led him to flee for his life. Look at with me at 1 Samuel 20, verse 1. It says, Then David fled from Naboth at Ramoth and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime?" How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? says, David fled. Now, the idea there in the Hebrew, when it says that he fled, it's not just like, you know, kind of running a, a, you know, away from a situation and say, okay, I can't be around here. The whole idea here with this word fled or fleeing gives the connotation of fleeing for your life. Being so frightened that you're running away because you, you think that your life is in grave danger. And that's indeed what David was doing. We already read in 1 Samuel 21.10 that David fled. He fled. So two times, in just a brief instance, we see David fleeing. He's running away. He cried out to Jonathan, What have I done? Do you get a sense that maybe his heart is a little anxious? I do. He was overwhelmed. He was discouraged. And again, what a change. What a change from when he had faced the giant. And when Jonathan tried to answer his fears with some positive words and reassurance, David remained skeptical and nervous. Now again, in fairness to David, we must acknowledge that he was right about Saul. And Jonathan was naive about his father's intentions. Saul did want to kill him. But David's problem David's problem was that he stopped trusting God to protect and deliver him. Have you ever lost perspective on the past? Have you ever forgotten what God has done for you in the past? See, for David, that included faith in God's power and his deliverance. See, we just read about what about the lion? What about the bear? What about the giant Goliath? God had delivered him from all of that. And seemingly, David ignored what had transpired, even in Ramah. We didn't read about that, but sometime read about that in 1 Samuel 19, of how God miraculously intervened. Saul sent three different armed men to kill David. And each time, God miraculously intervened. And they were so overcome by the Holy Spirit that they did not carry out their plans. In fact, David—excuse me—King Saul himself came, and the same thing happened. And David, even in that short instance, forgot how God was there for him, protecting him, delivering him, watching out for him. See, lost in the maze of his current troubles and circumstances, David proceeded to take matters into his own hands, which leads us to our next point. See, this led David to scheming and lying. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20 now. Let me read verses 5 to 7 for you. 1 Samuel twenty five to 7. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon feast, and I am supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me, I tell him, David earnestly asks my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. That was a lie.
1: That was a lie.
0: And David knew it. And he wanted Jonathan, son son, to lie for him. David schemed to involve the king's son and his scheme as well that included lying. Do you read anything there where God is in David's plan? I don't. In devising the scheme, David didn't consult the Lord at all. In fact, we don't even see the name of the Lord mentioned. And how opposite from David's attitudes and actions when he faced Goliath. Because you remember what he shouted to Goliath? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. What a change. What a change. Instead of David declaring before Jonathan, this struggle between your father and me is the Lord's, he will deliver me even as he has before. Instead, David left God out of the picture. And he came up with his own scheme. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever been guilty of that? You know, you have a problem, you have a difficulty, and, and instead of going to God first, and instead of bringing God into the situation, you try to handle it yourself. You know? You, try, you, you do a little scheming. You think about it. You say, okay, how can this all be worked out? And, and you kind of do it on your own. And then, when you mess up, when things are pretty looking really bleak, then you kind of say, Oh God! You know, help me out. But this wasn't the only time that David did some scheming. Go to chapter 21, first three verses. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered, Ahimelech the priest. The king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Was that truth? Had Saul sent him on a secret mission? No. <laughs> Not in any way, shape, or form. Saul wanted his life. He wasn't going to send him on any kind of secret mission. And here again, here is David scheming and lying. And you know the consequences of that? Well, if you were to keep on reading in chapter 22, you would read and see that that lie of David cost the high priest and the whole family of priests as well as an entire city their lives. Because King Saul thought that they were helping David. All because David did some scheming. And in that scheming, he lied. What a price to pay. All because David took matters into his own hands. There's a third time. A third time that included David's scheming. And we've already kind of touched upon it. When David fled for his life, and he went to Gath. He went to the Philistine territory. And he fled there. And of course, we know as we read what happened there. In fact, David's anxiety... Now reached an un, unbearable proportions, hoping that he wouldn't be recognized. He flees to the enemy's territory. But of course, he was recognized. So what did David do? He panicked. He pretended to be insla- insane. He did some strange marking and movements at the city gates. He let dribble come down his chin and onto his beard. He acted like a crazy man. And again, he was living a lie. Is this the same man who had trusted in God? Is this the same man that God himself had said, this is a man after my own heart? Well, we do know that David's scheming worked. He was able to escape once again. And according to 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adilam. So he ran away to a cave. And he found himself in that lonely cave. Eventually, as we would read, his family came to try to minister to him and and to encourage him. But I think when David was alone in that cave, he began to reflect on his bizarre and sinful behavior. I think it was at that moment that he started to return his focus upon God. David finally fixed his heart on the Lord once again. Now, we are not told how long it took David to confess his wrong thinking and scheming that obviously was not honoring to God. We don't even know what brought him back to God. But we do know that it eventually happened. See, one of the things that we've been kind of doing with this series occasionally is looking at some of the Psalms that coincide with some of the events of David's life. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles now and turn with me to Psalm 34. To the book of Psalms. And Psalm 34. Some of you in your Bibles will have an inscription at the top of this psalm. Now, not all Bibles do this. But some of you will have a Bible that will have an inscription on it. And the inscription might read something like this, Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. Now, I want you to understand that the king of Gath was sometimes called Achish, and he was sometimes called Abimelech. I don't know why he had two names. Some think that Abimelech actually was just kind of like a formal title. But it's referring to this same king king of Gath, Achish. Obviously, I don't think that David wrote this psalm when he was pretending like he was crazy. I don't think he had his pen and paper there, you know, and he's pretending like he's crazy and, and now he's writing this psalm. It just doesn't make sense. As soon as he stopped pretending like he was crazy and he, and he ran away for his safety, the Bible says, and we just read it, he went to the cave, did he not? He went to the cave of Adullam. This psalm indicates that when he pretended to be insane is when this was written. I think it was actually written in the cave. As soon as he left, as soon as he stopped thinking that he was crazy, he went to this cave. And I think in that cave, when he was all by himself, the Spirit of God began to do a work in his heart. And David returned to the Lord. He focused on God and his power, not on himself and his abilities. It's kind of a long psalm. Can I quickly read it for you? Is that, is that all right? All right, nobody said no, so you, you get, get to hear it, all right? Because we're, we're going to refer to it a little bit later. But understand the context in which this psalm is written, all right? Because something happened in David's heart. There is a change that came about for what he had been doing with all his scheming and his lying and his fear and his trouble. Something happened. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. Fear the Lord, you His holy people, for those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blow out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, and not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. You can't see David in this song? You see what David is going through in this song? I mean, I think, you know... It, in the middle there he talks about that, that those keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. <laughs> he kinda realized that, boy, you know, this is what I've been doing. I've been doing evil. I've been telling lies. But as I trust in God, as I place my faith back in him, he'll keep me from doing this anymore. I think David may have written this song to encourage us and to exert us to always keep our focus on the lord have you ever lost your perspective regarding god have you ever forgotten god's promises and his provisions in your life have you ever taken matters into your own hands and made a mess of things because you know you just really haven't trusted in god like you should have probably most of us would have to say with the Strong affirmative yes, I've done that. Many years ago the evangelist George Gardner was holding special meetings, a week-long meetings and God was blessing and it was evident that God was using him in a very special way. During this time when he was doing evangelistic meetings, his only income was that which he received when he would get love offerings and gifts from the churches or the towns where he would hold his meetings. He had a family of four to provide for. So obviously, he needed those love gifts and monies to be able to feed his family and pay his bills and to continue with his travels and so forth. In one of those towns where the Lord was just blessing him and things were going good, his last meeting, the leader got up and he he stood before the crowd and he said, I just want you to know tonight that our... Our entire offering, the love offering, will be given to Brother George in in appreciation and thankfulness for his sharing of the Word of God. And so I just want you to know that as everyone gives, the entire offering will go to him. After the meeting, one of the ushers enthusiastically showed him the total from the adding machine. And it was a generous sum, and you know, and Reverend Gardner was thankful because this money then will allow him to to be able to pay his bills and sustain his family for a couple of weeks. As he was getting ready to leave, and and the leader came up to him, he, he you know he handed him the check, and he took the check and he placed it in his pocket because you know you don't look at the check right in front of somebody. So he got that check and, and he left the building. And when he got up to his car, he opened up the check. And he saw that it was just for half of the amount that the head usher had showed him that the adding machine had added up. He drove back to his hotel all the time stewing, as you can imagine. All the time just thinking and trying to process this. He just had come up a week of of, of meetings and people had gotten saved and committed their lives to Jesus Christ. and, And now all that he could think about was being shortchanged by that leader. He tried to go to sleep. But again, those thoughts came to his mind of being shortchanged. He got up and sat beside the bed and said, well, maybe I should try to call him, you know, one in the morning and wake him up and say, what's going on? And then he thought that probably wasn't a good idea. And so he said, well, tomorrow I'll go to the church and I'll make things right. And laid back down but thought, eh, maybe that's not a good idea. Then he thought, well, I'll, I'll write a letter. I'll write a letter to the board. At least they should know about this. And He tried to go to sleep, and again, sleep would not come. Finally, after he'd been stewing and angry and discouraged, he, he went to the Bible. <laughs> and he said, I don't usually do this, but I, I just opened the Bible. And he said, it opened up to Psalm 37. And he felt the full force of some of the words in that song. Words like this. Do not fret because of evil men. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. George closed the Bible. Set it down. Got on his knees. He said, Lord, what a fool I've been. Please forgive me. Keep the other fellow awake. I'm going to get some sleep. He later said that he never contacted the church. Never said anything about it to to any of the leaders or church people there. He said it was a tough couple of weeks. But in the end, God... Sustained him and blessed him. And he had a peace. Because he had given it over to the Lord. See, turning to God first is the right and best choice. That's what we should always do. But we're human. And like George, sometimes we try to solve things ourselves. Do we not? And so it is better to turn to the Lord later than to never turn to Him. See, David blew it. I mean, you can't help as we've read through these schemes to realize that David blew it. And in his blowing it, he actually got caught up in a lie and he lied. And people were hurt because of his lie. That the whole city lost their lives because of David's lies. But David did eventually return to the Lord. And I think he did that in the cave of Abilene. And he wrote Psalm 34. And he placed his trust in the Lord once again. Perhaps you're here this morning, even as a Christian. And you're struggling. You're in a downtime. You have some significant problems in your life. And you would have to admit that you have gotten away from placing complete trust in the Lord. Going to Him first. It's not too late to go to Him. You can go to Him right now. Perhaps you're here this morning and and you just have a life of problems and difficulty. And this whole thing of going to the Lord is kind of a strange concept to you. I want you to know that, that you have the potential of having a Savior called Jesus Christ who wants to be your friend, your advocate, your mediator between you and God the Father if you will trust in Him and give your life to Him. So we need to remember that we have a gracious God. A God who is forgiving. So as we close this morning, here's the take home. Here's my question. And what are your eyes focused on today? Oh, probably here this morning, it's not hard to be focused on God, but as you leave this building, and as you live life, and as you go through your the challenges of the day, what are your eyes typically fixed on? Are they fixed on your problems? Or your fears? Or are they fixed on the Lord? We know that song, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. Well, how do we do that? How do we turn our eyes on Jesus? How do we keep that focus? Well, I think Psalm 34 identifies for us some things that will help us keep our focus on God. That's why David wrote the song. First of all, he says, exalt the Lord. Exalt Him. Praise Him and thank Him continually for His deliverance and provision. Do you know what praising God has a way of driving out negative attitudes? You know, it's difficult to sing a praise song and think of a negative attitude at the same time. I can't do it. Now, some of you maybe can. I can't do it. Secondly, he talks in this psalm about seeking God. Seek Him. As David said in verse 4, you know, he, he went to the Lord, he sought the Lord, he prayed to God. And then notice verse 5, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. See, David had forgotten that. I think his face was covered with shame. Particularly as he thought of what Saul did to that city. Third, trust in the Lord. Verse 8 tells us, for those who trust in the Lord experience genuine happiness And then fourth, live rightly. Live rightly before God. David exhorts us to do that in verses 15 to 17. And then he goes on and he talks about how the the Lord looks favorably upon the righteous. The Lord hears the righteous. The Lord delivers the righteous from their troubles. There is something that delights God as he sees the righteousness of his people. And he honors that and he blesses that. And then finally, rest in the Lord. Indeed, there is refuge, as verse 22 says, the closing verse of this psalm. For those who belong to the Lord and focus on Him, there is refuge and rest. David. Not a perfect man. And that's why I like David. Because of some of the great lessons that we can learn from him. And here was a time when David was in the dumps. But a time in which he did come back to the Lord. And renew his focus upon him. Father, we thank you for, again, this study on on the man David. A man after your own heart. And Lord, you know, even as you made that statement, that David could be weak. You knew that David would at times fail. But Father, we have in the scriptures of David, not staying in his failure. Not remaining wayward from yourself. We thank You that You are a gracious God and a forgiving God. And You want us to return to Yourself. You want to restore us to to fellowship with You and to having a close relationship with You. Father, forgive us for those times in which we have tried to take things into our own hands and solve our own problems without going to You first. Father, for those today that might be in the midst of, uh, of that downtime, may they be encouraged through the message of your word this morning to seek you out, to focus on you, to exalt you, to live righteously and to be faithful, and then to see how you will work all of this out for your glory and your praise. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray.